I'm Martin Reeves, Chairman of the BCG Henderson Institute. Welcome to our Thinkers and Ideas podcast, where we discuss important new books and ideas in business. Joining me today is Mohan Subramaniam. Mohan is a Professor of Strategy and Digital Transformation at IMD, the Business School in Lausanne, Switzerland. And his research focuses on digital transformation and new sources of competitive advantage in the digital age. Today, we'll be discussing his new book on precisely that topic called The Future of Competitive Strategy, Unleashing the Power of Data and Digital Ecosystems, which came out from MIT Press this year, 2022. In the book, Mohan discusses how companies need to adapt their competitive strategies for this new digital context so that they can compete not only with other traditional companies, but also with the digital titans, Alphabet, Amazon, Netflix, Facebook, and their equivalent in various industries. So thank you so much for joining me, Mohan, and congratulations on the book. Oh, thank you, Martin. It's a pleasure to be here and uh, wonderful, wonderful to chat with you. So your book, you talk about it being a recipe for avoiding digital myopia for legacy companies. Tell us what digital myopia is and why we should be wary of it. Oh, that's a great question, Martin. So digital myopia refers to what I would say the inability of many firms today to envision the full scope of the value that modern digital technologies can offer. I believe it is caused by our continued reliance on prevailing premises for competitive strategy that were built for a different era, the industrial world. Now, premises such as all our revenues have to come from our products or services or value chains define our business scope or industry characteristics amplify the value of our products. Now, I'm not saying these premises are irrelevant or not important. They're very important, but they're not enough. Why it's not enough is because in today's world, revenues can come from data, not just products. Business scope can be expanded through digital ecosystems far beyond value chains. And digital ecosystems, not industries, actually amplify the value of data. So digital myopia basically stems from the inability of firms to expand their vision from products, value chains, and industries, and being able to unleash the newfound power of data and digital ecosystems. And indeed, you start your book by exploring the success factors for the famous tech giants, and you place a lot of stress on data and ecosystems as being really two of the central elements that define the digital as opposed to the pre-digital context. Why did you single out these two elements, data and digital ecosystems? So, as I said, if you are competing with products primarily, then industries as your business environment make a lot of sense. But if you look at these tech giants, they generate value not from products, but their value comes from data. And they've shown how they can really make enormous value from data. And if you want to compete with data, industries are not enough. You have to think of your business environment as digital ecosystems. And with legacy firms, I call them legacy firms because these are firms that have been around for a long time and they have great legacy behind them. For them, this is new. And for them to pivot or to expand or elevate their thinking from products and industries, you need to have a framework around data and digital ecosystems. Right. Well, before we focus on legacy companies, let's think about the the tech giants that we look up to and how they compete with each other. So I guess as we look up to those companies, one thing we must be careful of is survivor bias. We see the ones that succeeded, but as they competed with each other, many of them, you know, we don't hear about today. So 
in general, the digital companies are focusing on data and ecosystems, but what specifically have been some of the moves that the successful ones, the surviving ones deployed that ensured their continuity? Right. Now, that's again a great question. How to make money or value out of data and digital ecosystems were not very clear to, even to these companies when they started. And they have not arrived where they are in a day or so, you know. It took them a long time to figure, you know, if you remember Facebook for years, we were all wondering when, when will they ever monetize. They figured this out with a lot of experimentation and thinking and these kinds of things evolved. And these successful ones were those who stood their ground, who stayed with their purpose and did that. Now, legacy firms don't need to go through that whole learning process. In many ways, the big advantage they have is that they have the proof of concept from these very successful tech firms. And the issue now is for them or the challenge is to synthesize those insights and find ways by which they can apply them in relevant ways to their businesses. And that's what the book does. Okay, so let's go into that a little bit. So you distinguish two types of ecosystem, digital ecosystem, a production system, a consumption ecosystem. And it seems to me that you're implying that these form some sort of natural progression sequence. So tell us about the difference between these two types of ecosystem and tell us about how to get from A to B, how to become a data-based platform company. What are the steps to get there? Terrific. And thank you for asking that question because the production consumption ecosystem framework is actually one of the key contributions of this book. Now, if I step back and, you know, what do we know about digital ecosystems very quickly is that, you know, it's a data generating, receiving network. And all of us are familiar with this in some way because we use our smartphones and, you know, the network there, we use Uber. The issue is for legacy firms that they are not like iOS and they are not like Uber. They are value chain based businesses. And for them, their digital ecosystems have to be different. Right? So, and that's where the production consumption ecosystem comes in. Now, how do you make these digital ecosystems apply to these legacy firms? So I start with their value chains. If you look at value chains of legacy firms, many of them have massive, massive, intricate networks of so many different activities, right from suppliers all the way to the products are sold. Now, if you think of that network as a data generating receiving network, that becomes a start, and that's what I call production ecosystems. That is the digital ecosystems in which a firm can produce and sell. Now, these ecosystems began some time back with IT and all that, where you know a lot of the value chain activities were you know digitized or for automation and for efficiency purposes. But if you bring modern digital technologies into that network, you can do much more than operational efficiencies. You can even drive new revenues. So if uh, an aircraft engine is able to generate new revenues from telling pilots how to fly planes and reduce their fuel costs and get money out of it, that's money coming from data beyond what the products were offering. And that comes from production ecosystems. And that's a start. Now, consumption ecosystems are different. And they are interesting because they come from a base that was always there for legacy firms, but we never noticed it. This is a network of complements. All products have complements. Most of them have complements. Cars need roads, you know, gas stations, light bulbs need sockets and wiring and electricity. But legacy firms never really cared about these complements in the old world because they didn't matter. It didn't make any business sense. You won't find a light bulb company in the electricity business. 
But in the new world, when IoT and sensors are coming, a lot of these complements can be digitally connected. And that's what I call a consumption ecosystem because it enhances the consumption experience and extends the consumption experience of products. I see. So is a digital ecosystem always the answer? I'm thinking about two things there. I'm thinking about other choices. So, you know, the, the digital ecosystem is one relatively novel, relatively new governance form in business, but it's not the only one. And the second thing I'm thinking is, strategically, is the smartest way of competing with digital natives to compete on their ground, to adopt their recipe for business. Why, why would that be a feasible thing to do? To be honest, it is not very feasible in the way things are today. But the good news is that if a legacy firm builds a digital ecosystem, it doesn't necessarily have to compete with the digital titans or the tech giants. They don't. Whatever be the hype, I mean, we all know, okay, Amazon is making inroads into grocery stores or it has just bought iRobot and things. But a vast majority of legacy firms can build their digital ecosystems to expand their own value generating scope and don't necessarily have to cross paths with the tech giants. In some sectors, it is true, not in all sectors. And why would you want digital ecosystems? Because even at a basic level, if you enrich your production ecosystems, which is you start with your existing value chain network, there's much more you can do with that. But you have seen some very interesting examples of how firms are finding new complements. You must have heard about Lululemon, you know, the company that makes uh, athletic apparel for yoga classes and yoga use. Now, the recent acquisition is a company called Mirror. It's an interactive platform that essentially is for exercising and training and things. It's, it's like a mirror in which you, you do, and it's a platform that connects you to different trainers. Now, why has Lululemon acquired Mirror? It's a complement. It's a digital complement, and it opens them a new avenue for revenues but that's a framework that helps you do that is the consumption ecosystem framework. That is, if you see it as a consumption ecosystem framework, you will see more and more complements that are natural fit. Then you start behaving like a digital platform. Now, you don't have to compete with the Amazons of the world for that. You're still in a consumption ecosystem, but it is based on your business model, right? If we ask a variant on the same question, which is, in a sense, there's a sort of a catch-up logic. You know, there are certain trends in the world and one needs to catch up with them. And there are other people competing against you in certain ways and you need to counter that. But in, in an offensive sense, what is the potential advantage, if any, of a legacy firm competing in a digital world? Again, a terrific question. And my answer to that would be the difference between advantages coming from network effects versus advantages coming from scale. Now, we all know scale. We have, you know, <laughs> we have been, uh, we, you know, we all know about reduced costs and barriers to entry and so on. But when you are competing with data and digital ecosystems, then scale is there, but that's not enough. Because the value that you are generating from data expands when the size of the network goes up. And we have seen that again, the proof of concept comes from these tech giants that Network effects can, you know, drive all these winner-take-all markets. Now, that's something that legacy firms should be aware of. So if you said, take a toothbrush, a smart toothbrush, if you want to get into smart toothbrushes, then what's important? If you're thinking that 
It's not just about telling you how well you have brushed your teeth. There's no network effect there. But if you get into algorithms that predict when you're going to have a cavity, then you'll need a threshold <laughs> size of the network to be able to provide that. And now think of a scenario if PNG is able to get a lead and is able to give far more accurate predictions because of their network size, that's it. They'll take away the whole market. I guess one very important question here is, and this is in a sense an old question, but a modern version of an old question. Bruce Henderson said that the, the art of strategy lay partly in understanding the natural boundaries of competition. So we have this lazy construct of the industry, which actually was always a bit of a fiction because, you know, if I'm in the widget business, is the market all global firms for this widget? Is it regional firms for this widget? Is it actually broader than the widget? Is it a subset of the widget? So we always had to think about the natural boundaries of competition. Now, you said that industry boundaries are often spanned by digital platforms. It strikes me that, you know, there's this question, network effects applied to what? Because if the network that I'm trying to build is exactly the same one as a digital titan, you know, maybe I'm going to have a harder time than if I can create some sort of niche within which, which I can think about network effects. So how do you think about the natural boundaries of competition for a legacy business? That's again a very, very wonderful question. Because if you're thinking about a world of data and digital ecosystems, I mean, the first things you want to show is that why is it different from a world of products and, and industries? Now, industry boundaries were a wonderful thing. I mean, I'm, I'm a big fan of that because I kind of grew up or, you know, cut my teeth in the, in the academic thinking kind of thing with those frameworks in mind. And they're terrific. Now, let me just give an example of how things change when you look at your industry boundaries to define who your competitors are. And typically, who do we call a competitor? We call a competitor one that has similar products. So in this world of data and digital ecosystems, your competitors need not be those who just offer similar products. Your competitors can also be those who have access to similar data. Now, in some businesses, that access could be great. Now, if Caterpillar, for instance, is you know, giving services, saying that I'm helping my customer figure out the productivity of each of their machines or telling them how much, how much their idle time is, now you can have new competitors who can give the same service by retrofitting sensors on their machines. You know, if I'm a light bulb company saying that I'm getting data on motion in the home and I can connect to security systems because, you know, I can detect motion when nobody's supposed to be there. Now, there's so many objects in the room that have access to the same data. Now, you see, if you think of your competition as, you know, light bulb manufacturers, you miss out. Because when you think of from, from a data and digital ecosystem point of view, and when you're thinking that you're competing with data, then you have to start looking at who else has similar data. And they need not be those who have similar products. In some cases, like in toothbrushes, the likely competition would either be the existing toothbrush manufacturers or new manufacturers who are coming in with the toothbrush because that data about your dental health is probably restricted to just the toothbrush. So it will stay in the same category, but other products need not be. So you have to think of it differently. So that's something on boundaries. As we think about competing in, in the digital world, we probably have to think about competitive plays in a different way too. So, you know, Porter would say you either scale or you differentiate. These are the two basic competitive plays and others would have a different taxonomy. But 
in a sense, uh, it seems to me you're talking about meta strategy. You're talking about the minimum requirements of the new game, but not necessarily the specific competitive play. There's also a chapter in your book, however, that, that deals with the choices that you have on the type of strategy, because a legacy company competing in the digital world, I think, is competing not only with its traditional competitors, but potentially, as you've said, competitors with the same data, maybe competitors that access the same community, competitors that have or use similar platforms. So how do we think about the, the competitive choices? If I'm a Maybe we can take the, uh, the simple example of the digital toothbrush. What sorts of strategy can I deploy depending upon the circumstances? Terrific question. Okay, so let's stay with the toothbrush because it's you know, something that we can all kind of understand in some ways. So if you think of digital ecosystems as production and consumption ecosystems, now that itself starts opening some choices to these toothbrush companies. So I'm a smart toothbrush company. If I decide to stay within my production ecosystems, what are the choices I have? I can say that, you know, I'm giving these new features and there are some algorithms that can predict a cavity and these are, you know, this is a great feature. And I manage those features from my production ecosystem. So I'm playing through my production ecosystems. Now, another competitor may say that, well, I'm not just sticking to that, but I'm going to build a network of dentists and health insurance companies to whom I will connect each user so that if you have a cavity, you know, your dentist is able to tell you what to do. So as an example, now that's the consumption ecosystem. Now, the toothbrush company has a choice. Do I stay with my production ecosystems? And in cases where you see all the competition essentially focusing just on that, then that might be something that is pretty reasonable to do. Wherein you focus on better and better algorithms, focus on network effects now because you want to build strength behind those algorithms and show that you can give better predictions. But if your competitors start going into the other space or you're finding new competitors coming in that space, then you want to be careful because... These competitors, they may enter your consumption ecosystem space, but they could then contract out toothbrush manufacturers and then start entering your production ecosystem space. So how that play works is, again, you know, there are a lot of contingencies that get into it, which is what the book goes into. That is, when would you make what kind of play is very important to know. But the fundamental thing is that if you stay within industry boundaries, you won't be able to see this game at all, right? Because the value-creating scope or canvas itself is very different. So changing gears slightly, ecosystems is clearly a, a new thing that most of us are still learning about, and it's quite self-apparently important. I mean, uh, the number of companies, leading companies that are digital platforms and ecosystem-based businesses has gone from nothing to you know 70% of the top companies in, in the last 10 years. So certainly important. I wanted to ask you whether you think that this is, this is the end state. So are we now living in a world where these dynamic collaborative arrangements that we call digital ecosystems are with us forever? Or is this just some sort of you know, transitional stage, what the ecologists might call a successional stage, where we might get back to some more permanent hardwired arrangements, something more like traditional value chains at some point in the future when we reach a new equilibrium. What do you think? From how I see it, that there is a huge momentum building around this kind of a worldview. 
and it is coming because you know partly these tech firms have given proof of concept that it is possible and so it's a matter of time before firms start recognizing hey we can do this and so when thousands and thousands of firms kind of go towards that center of gravity then you know it kind of shapes the reality i wonder whether the cost of capital going up i'm not an economist so i i can't predict whether we're going to see a permanent shift in the cost of capital but it it could be this period where we've had where essentially money's been free as has been the exception in history and we're seeing some sort of shakeout in the tech sector right now because of the increase in interest rates and the the cost of money perhaps ecosystems or big orchestrator plays in consumption ecosystems are we going to see less of that because we can't support the incredible investments that that requires will that put a damper on the the theory that you're laying out here do you think yes i would say that but i would put a caveat there that in certain sectors if you do not focus on the consumption ecosystems you could get into serious trouble which is that the value that data provides will move to that ecosystem and if there are competitors there and they can walk into your arena you would be in serious trouble now autos is one example of that where you can see slowly and steadily that if driverless cars come then you know it's not a far fetched thought to think that you know you would have platforms that would say hey you know we can we can manage the rights for you instead of a family of four having four cars they may have one car and you know they may have some kind of service like they have for telecom now in that world it doesn't matter which brand of product comes to pick you up i don't care if a toyota comes or a honda comes or whatever what matters to me is does that platform know my itinerary know my choices know where to take me that's all consumption ecosystems so in that sector if i am an auto company and i say that hey i don't i'm not interested in that you are very likely to get commoditized you see you may not disappear but you know a google might say hey i want to take your manufacturing facilities and you just make something for me and the value is in the data not in the products so to speak having said that the other interesting thing that you mentioned is the cost of capital and many of the tech firms also getting into a lot of trouble because of that in terms of saying how long can we sustain not making money i think legacy firms have an advantage in that way which is that they have a base right toothbrush companies have a base of making toothbrushes and then the data and digital ecosystems is on top of that so they can go about that transition in a far more measured and steadfast way if i am a startup just dependent on a digital ecosystem from a platform point of view i don't have that luxury you know then the cost of capital matters to me that is if i don't find investors who are willing to keep going on with me i could get into trouble but legacy firms i think have a huge opportunity to expand their scope of business this way i mean i would put it this way that if there's scarcity of capital you want to put capital in ways which expand your business scope rather than make it into a plateau or, or saturate the market with existing things how long are you going to keep you know developing a new product why can't we think about you know a completely new avenue to generate new revenues and that's what data and digital ecosystems provide so again prospectively i'm interested in what is new what what else do you foresee in the ecosystem space so some people um, speculated that we're going to see a rise in for instance public sector digital ecosystems others have said that 
B2B is going to be entirely different. Others have talked about the rise of AI and the impact that that will have on digital businesses. In, say, in a five, 10 years' time, what, what will we be talking about as strategists then? What is coming in the digital space? I mean, all of what you said is true. And we know what AI is doing and how legacy firms use AI, at least today, is, is not what, you know, we are all thinking of what AI can do. I mean, most of AI with legacy firms is around operation efficiencies and, you know, managing supply chains and, you know, making sure that they have the right inventory in the right place and all that. So that part is, with AI, you know, it's hard to imagine some, you know, completely dystopian world where, you know, everything is taken over by machines and stuff. I don't believe in that. But I would say that things like smart cities and things like mobility environments where, you know, you're bringing sustainability because of things that data and digital ecosystems can do, the world will go and you'll find a lot of value in what data and digital ecosystems provide in these big problems like sustainability and mobility and, you know, planning cities and things like that. And that all is the consumption ecosystem in many ways, right? It's a combination of so many different, it's a huge consumption ecosystem that allows many, many firms to flourish and prosper at the same time, give a lot of benefit to customers. So I wish we had more time, Mohan, but let me perhaps wrap up with a final, more personal question. So you've just moved to IMD, and I'm wondering what you're planning on working on there, whether you've perhaps got thoughts of a, of a next book or a new area of research in mind. <laughs> the next book would be how to execute a strategy, you know, it goes more into the implementation part of this. But no, I mean, I am, I, IMD is a terrific place to be. It's just a fantastic, it's not just the beauty of Switzerland and Lausanne, but the whole campus and this place is just just magical. I couldn't have found a better place, you know, where you can make an impact on how executives think and how, how to influence practice. So, no, I'm very happy here and uh, continue to work in this domain, but, you know, get more and more insights, get more and more ways in which, you know, you can make all this possible. Very good. Well, thanks very much for spending time sharing ideas from your new book with us today, Mohan. Thank you, Martin. Thank you so much. So I've been talking to Mohan Subramaniam, who is Professor of Strategy at IMD, about his new book, The Future of Competitive Strategy, Unleashing the Power of Data and Digital Ecosystems. I think it's a very down-to-earth and, and pragmatic book written with legacy companies in mind. Lots of useful tips, I think, about different segmentations of strategy, how to recast some of the traditional ideas of strategy and also I found particularly valuable the ideas of sequence and what sequence should you should you implement these moves as a legacy company. So thanks again, Mohan. Thank you.